Hello, everybody. How's it going? This is Jordan Pacheco from the Glad Chad Podcast. I hope you're doing well. And if you're already not a listener or usual subscriber, go ahead and like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you're on any of our podcasting platforms, go ahead and also subscribe that way. Each and every one of you helps the channel, especially today, because we have a topic that obviously affects every single one of us, actually. And it's related inside the faith, even if you may have never thought about it like that before. So besides all the traditional things that we do on this channel, you know that uh, we also like to talk a lot about finances, in particular, how Catholics can better utilize their money, how to uh, how to make smart saving habits and spending habits and all those kinds of things that really can help us build up the kingdom of God without having to succumb to some of the modern American debt traps and, uh, and economic unsensibilities or desensibilities, uh, insensibilities. Yeah, I think it's insensibilities that uh, that exists nowadays. So I want to hop straight in. If you have um, seen previous episodes, you've seen that we've talked about um, a Catholic guide for spending less and living more. That's by Rob and Sam Fatzinger. Um, they are a family. Uh, I think they have 14 children. Yeah, it's a, it's a total family of 16. So they have 14 children, and yet they managed to live this debt-free lifestyle. And actually, we had them on the show. So uh, if you want to, the episode's right there. Go ahead and check that out because that's going to be a lot of what we've covered. However, it's going to be in a more condensed way. So a year ago, I was asked by one of my favorite all-time priests at my parish to create a little financial course, namely for engaged couples seeking to be married uh, Catholic. So I made this course and I wanted to also share it with all of you because even if you're not engaged or to be married or if you're dating or if you're single, it doesn't really matter. This course on Catholic financials should really help everyone get their bearing. So I'm just going to go through um, the course that I created. It's going to rely heavily. None of this is really my own ideas. So you're going to notice uh, off the bat that a lot of ideas come from Dave Ramsey and his baby steps, as well as Chris Hogan reading Everyday Millionaires. And of course, Rob and Sam with uh, the Catholic guide for spending less and living more. So if you haven't read any of those before, I would highly recommend, especially consider getting a uh, total money makeover by Dave Ramsey and a Catholic guide for spending less and living more. So this is just a great synthesis of information and I'm going to go ahead and share my screen and then we'll be off to the races. Let's go. All right. Catholic finances, lessons of prudence and sacrifice. So again, just recommended reading. Um, if you, uh, I, I included links and so I'll, I'll include also this entire slideshow in the description below so that if you want any of these resources or if you want to see kind of where some of my sources are or you want to just go deeper, uh, let's go ahead and do that. So of course, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, uh, Rob and Sam's book, of course, and Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaires. So to begin, why care about finances? So you might have heard this. This comes from Timothy 6.10. All Bible verses are going to be coming from the ESV CE Catholic edition, by the way. So you might have heard this for, for Timothy 6.10. Someone might come to you and say, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. So before we even start talking about money, there are a lot of people who think that Christians can't do anything really financial. Surely God tells us that uh, money is evil, that we shouldn't worry about it. Doesn't uh, God tell us to have no cares that he will take care of us? Uh, by doing this, are not we trusting, are we doubting God's divine will? But actually, uh, this is a misreading of the of the verse. The text is actually, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So men will commit horrible things in the name of greed, right? In the name of avarice. And so if we have this as our foundation, that the ultimate reason to look at money is not as a, an end to a means, right? The ends don't justify the means. We can't be Machiavellians as Catholics. 
but rather money should be looked at as a tool. And it can be a tool used to cultivate better our, our life in Christ, our life for our families, our life for ourselves. God does not mean us all to live in poverty, although this is a great, wonderful thing that happens when religious are able to take vows of poverty, of course. But he is asking us, even those who have taken vows of poverty, to be frugal. He's asking us to, to not be uh, spendthrifts, right? He's asking us not to just throw everything to the wind and rack up um, every single debt you can imagine and just do our fellow man and our churches a disservice because we did not take the prudence necessary in order to build up God's kingdom here on earth. So as I said, to begin, why care about finances? So let's go through a couple of verses from the Bible on money. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That will come back a couple of different times. This is one that Dave Ramsey likes to say quite a bit. Um, and I, I think it's a very, very apt one. Here's one, Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So again, ultimately our life is not our own and money is just a tool. It's not, it's not the, the end of everything, right? Our end of everything is Christ. And so if we can utilize our, our financial sensibilities to better, better our, our relation with Christ, we ought to, right. And to better our family, right. And all these sorts of things. But remember that um, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, this is why I love the Catholic church so much because it's a religion, both for Kings and for paupers. It's not the amount of money. You can't take it with you. It's about what did we do to foster charity in our life? What did we do to foster our devotion to Christ? What did we do to foster devotion to our fellow man? Wealth hastily gained, oh, I'm sorry. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 13, 11, especially in the wake of um, a couple of years ago, it was like all the the, the Dogecoin kind of rages. Um, you might've done like R slash Wall Street bets, which is a terrible way to finance. Um, wealth that's gained hastily is often lost hastily because the tools that we have been given are our reason in order to our sensibilities, our prudence in order to, to keep wealth often dwindles because we don't have those guards up. Right. So that's why the majority of people who in the lottery go broke. It's why the majority of people who play in the NFL professional sports make millions of dollars in such a short amount of time go broke. It's the reason why a couple of years ago, you might've listened to your cousin talk really happily about how he invested in Bitcoin. Uh, but now since uh, the crypto bubble has all burst, thank you, FTX, uh, people are not happy. <laughs> and then Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So again, I love how love has been tied to money because we live in a very avaricious culture, right? We live in a, in a place where actually greed is good. Um, I remember a buddy explaining some Ayn Rand philosophy once, and I'm not I'm not um, besmirching Ayn Rand because I simply don't know much about her or her philosophy. Um, but if he was right, talking about how wonderful greed can be, that it's okay to actually be selfish and greedy. And that's actually not what the Bible teaches. That's not what our faith teaches, that the love of money is not satisfactory, right? Because nothing in this earth except our devotion to Christ is going to be satisfactory because we can't take it with us. It doesn't satisfy our immortal soul. And then Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Really interesting one. And as we're going to go through, we're not just talking about building wealth or cultivating financial sensibilities for ourselves individually. That's all that is. But we're really going to talk about utilizing uh, what we can make in order to go out there and especially cultivate our families in the sort of Catholic ways that we want. And then last but not least, Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. 
but the righteous is generous and gives. There's more to the verse, but I, I love the contrast here, right? The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. If we can cultivate some righteous sensibilities about finances, we can use it ultimately for what God intends. It's just to be generous and to give, right? Um, one of the things Dave Ramsey says a lot is to um, live like no one else. So later you can live and give like no one else. Uh, while he's not the only financial expert that you should follow, there are plenty of other voices out there. Um, it was really through Dave Ramsey that I really cultivated my own sensibilities. And so I've heard his side, I've heard a lot of other financial guys, and I've kind of been able to synthesize it. But generally speaking, you'll find that a lot of what I think has worked has certainly worked for me in our household. And we're about to buy a house within this next year, God willing. Um, hopefully, that can also be something that may inspire you. Maybe there's things that you've just never thought of before. Okay, so just to wrap up, right? Money is not evil and can be used, in fact, for the goods of God, his church, and Christians. Money isn't everything, right? It's a means to an end for our vocation, right? It's not the end, it's the means to an end. This is one that I'm gonna be harping on, right? The borrower is slave to the lender, right? If you owe a man, dinner tastes different when you're in his service, right? It, it's a very different kind of thing. And finally, to be generous and give. The Catholic Church does not require a 10% tithe, uh, but it is, of course, highly encouraged. But obviously, you want to be giving to your church. In fact, one of the, pre -rep, uh, one of the um, precepts of the church, right, is for us to support the church, oftentimes financial. But if not financial, I've already made a video on tithing you can watch. There are plenty of other ways to tithe, right? But the point is that you do have to give something of yours back to God. And a lot of times, it's very easy to give um, money back for a lot of us, right? Um, I'll skip this video, but again, if you want to watch it, it's Dave Ramsey's Be Weird or Be Broke. It's a great video. Highly recommend it. I'll link it below. Okay, so this is an idea that actually comes from uh, the Catholic Guide for Spending Less and Living More by Rob and Sam Fatzinger. If you want to see that interview once again, they're absolutely wonderful. They're a family that lived a debt-free lifestyle with 14 kids. And so, you know, houses, right, the whole thing, college for the kids, cars. I mean, I would say a really quintessential middle-class lifestyle with a huge Catholic family. And I know a lot of us especially think, well, I'm young here and it's never going to happen. But these kids made it. And so it's a great interview and they're so fun to talk to. But first one, step one, financial vision, big picture financial trajectory. This is your financial master plan. Okay, so for couples especially, or maybe for yourself, what might be very helpful for you is to have a financial notebook. One of the things I've always liked doing is uh, every year I'll have a, a note a pad and I'll write kind of the different quadrants of my life. What do I want to be financially? What do I want to be spiritually, right? In my marriage, where do I want to be uh, physically health-wise, right? Where do I want to be in my career? You know, anything like that. And so for this one, it's just particularly uh, a financial journal that might help you. But this is, this is simple. It's like, where are we going, right? What do I want? What is that huge master scope plan? Do I want to uh, be the farmer with 100 acres, right? Do I want to live in a uh, New York sky rise? Do I want to be generous and be the guy who has a plaque in his church because he donated this, the, the ceiling? Do I want to be someone who never has to worry about money, who can just take vacations? Do I want to be somebody who never uh, has to ever worry about my kids going hungry? All of these things, these are important kind of trajectories. So all it is asking us to do is dream. Step two, okay, financial goals. Okay, so now you have your trajectory, right? All right, this is my vision. This is what I want. So what are the steps in the short term and in the long term? Let me give you one, right? I want to be able to own a house in the countryside and have 10 acres, let's say. Okay, 
um, you know, Jen and I and some chickens and go made an alpaca. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So what are the steps short term and long term? So in the short term, we can start cultivating uh, financial steps that live for a frugal lifestyle as well as self-sufficiency. We can save money when something breaks in the house as well on the cars. That's been a huge thing. You guys have been watching me uh, track through this last year. God bless you. Uh, and what about in the long term, right? What does it actually mean to build equity in a place? Our first house that we're going to get probably isn't going to be a countryside house. Maybe this will be the house we get when we retire. Maybe we'll get this house when the kids are still growing up. I don't know. But at least we have prepared before to kind of make sure that if there is an opportunity in this goal, right, and, and this is this is not unchanging, that we can take it that way. Um, a big thing to remember, and this is what unlocked my brain, um, financial literacy is not magic, right? And it's not difficult. I think an unfortunate thing is that we have such a financial illiteracy issue in our country. And I'm very grateful because even though it wasn't a requirement when I was in high school, I took finances my senior year. And that was one of the best classes I ever took in high school. And I, I'm a public school brat, as you can imagine. But unfortunately, a lot of us when we're 18, we simply don't know any better. So a lot of times we can rack up debt, we can get ourselves into holes, or we simply don't have those muscles built out because nobody ever taught us, right? We're, we're the eunuch with the apostle and actually the apostle, right? How can I understand if there's nobody there to teach me? In that case, he talks about the scriptures, and that's also true for us, but it's also true in the case of money. If, if your parents didn't cultivate anything in you, if naturally you might be, maybe it's okay to be a spender, right? It's okay naturally to be a spender. It's okay naturally to be a saver. It's about cultivating sensibilities um, and making sure that we're not living a debtful lifestyle in order to finance ourselves, right? We're not keeping up with the Joneses. Step three, this is a good one. What's holding you back? This is an honest assessment of financial dreams to reality right? Is it debt? Is it job, uh, job trouble? Do you and your spouse agree on money? This is a huge thing, right? If I want this home out in the countryside, but I have $50,000 of student debt, that's going to follow me out. Um, if I want the, the, uh, the uh, house in Glendale, California, right, which is a million dollar house for like 900 square feet, by the way, um, but I'm only working as a production assistant and I'm making maybe $150 a day, 12 hour day, is this actually, you know, is this actually going to be an attainable goal for me? Do I need to change my job or change my income status? And then finally, the biggest one, you'll hear me harp on this all, all the time. Do you and your spouse agree on finances? Do you and your spouse agree on money? I'm a huge believer that marriage is everything combined, right? So when Jen and I got married, we combined our, our bank accounts. We, we're both on the car insurances. We're both going to be on the house, right? Everything, right? It's it's an open book, right? There's no there's no financial secrets. I'm very fortunate because I'm a naturally frugal person, and so is Jen, right? So Jen didn't have any debt when we got married. I certainly didn't have any debt, and also I had all this head knowledge about, right? So in our own marriage, I'll tell you that there were the little things that we had to tinker on. What does this actually mean, right? Fun fact, gentlemen. There is a wife tax, right? You remember the girlfriend tax? I'm telling you, it doesn't just go away when you're married. So we sat down and we have budget meetings and we say, okay, what does it mean to spend money on hair and nails, right? What does it mean to, to when we say food or going out, what are those numbers that look like? Because at the end of the day, it's going to make life so much easier for both of you if you're not fighting about money. Um, money fights is the number one reason people get divorced, right? Right, right before infidelity. So I'm warning you, right? Or maybe it's irreconcilable differences is probably the, the coin term, but money usually is at the heart of it. And there are so many people who want to keep their lives separate, unfortunately, on this regard. So uh, just keep that in mind. And step four, what are possible solutions? Okay, so we've taken an honest assessment. Here's what I want 
and the trajectory of my life financially. This is how I want, I, how I think I can get there, the short term and the long term. Here are the honest assessments of what might be holding me back. And finally, step four, what are the possible solutions? Um, this is another Dave Ramseyism. Adult Adults devise a plan. Children do what feels good. It's not enough to recognize a problem and go, huh, well, I guess I'm never going to have that dream ever. How many times do we hear that, for heaven's sake, in, in the real estate right now, right? A young 20-something-year-old couple like Jen and I. I mean, housing has gone crazy in Colorado. And it's really easy to go, well, I'm just never going to be able to own a home. Maybe we won't be able to in Colorado. I, I think, I mean, we're going to. But um, but yeah, if that's an honest assessment, maybe it just means to consider moving someplace else. And of course, then you have to consider your job and location, all these kind of things. But if that's best for your family, then that's what's best, right? I mean, this is something that's going to take prayer and discernment and not just your own, but of course, with your spouse. Um, God has given you the tools, use them. Again, finances is not magic, right? Finances is not magic. We've been told that it's just a smoke and mirrors and you're never going to get it and you're just too stupid and leave it to professionals. But it's not magic. And this is your life and livelihood. This will dictate so much of how smoothly, well, within the reason of, of God's fallen world, how, how smoothly this can go, right? So the number one financial rule for couples, get on the same page with your spouse. If you are, I, I don't know when you should start talking about money with uh, your significant other if you're not married. Jen and I are very fortunate, right? Because we had a very short uh courtship before we got engaged right so i think on our define the relationship date we really just started we we could ask each other everything we were very clear at the start that we wanted to be open because this was going to be the most important decisions for our lives and i'm very happy to say that you know every marriage has ups and downs and it's it's definitely is a challenge but it's also a wonderful blessing um this is one of those things we haven't had a lot of fights on whatsoever um, we're very different people when it comes to money, not in terms of our temperament. Both of us are, again, savers, naturally. I just have a lot of head knowledge, and I find that Jen wants to feel a little more secure, um, just kind of knowing that, like, I can, I understand, like, how our money is being utilized in different ways, right? So, for instance, um, even though we both can see what the Excel energy bill is this month, and it automatically gets drawn out of our account, I at least have those numbers in my head at all times because it's important. A lot of times when we go out to some place, we're going to do a vacation. Jen just asks me what our budget is. And then we have a discussion. We might tweak it a little bit, but we both know that we could give each other the keys to the kingdom and it's totally fine. Please get on the same page. There are so many people who get married without knowing how much student debt or credit card debt or a car payment or medical bills or anything that their spouse has. There are so many people who do not want to combine finances because they feel like that's a recipe for fights and divorce. If you are really discerning somebody uh, and you want to be married, you want to be their wife or their husband, but you haven't talked about finances, don't get married. I beg you, do not get married until you've had the talk, you have the assessment, right? Because listen, she might be the most beautiful girl in the world, but if she has $300,000 in student loan debt and she's not working at an art museum, let's say, this is a hypothetical, uh, she's not working to pay it off, you have to take that into consideration. That That's a really serious thing to take into consideration. It's not the only thing but it's a very serious thing. So we're going to go through Dave Ramsey's baby steps. Again, if you just go on YouTube, I'm sure many of you already know him, but I just wanted to do a run through because one thing I like about Dave Ramsey's approach, and again, he's not the only financial guru, right? Evident by the fact that I have a book by two other people who I trust in the financial realm because they're living it, right? But what I like about Dave Ramsey's approach is that um, it's a debt-free lifestyle. 
It's a slow way of building wealth, but also it's just your grandma's sensibilities. That's essentially all this is. One of the things he's recognized that I completely agree with is that um, finances, like most things in our lives that are motivated, um, is not so much a logos logical thing. It's emotional. It's behavioral. This is the same I find with our spiritual lives too, right? We all know that we should pray a rosary every single day. We all know that we should pray our night prayers. We should be on our knees unceasing in prayer that we need to go to adoration to mass more, right? But we have to cultivate those behaviors. This is why Christ is so interested, not so much in just the head knowledge of him, but in in the following after him, right? As a child follows after his father, to love Christ, to fall in love. And anybody who's fallen in love knows that it is at one point the will just stops, right? The, the logical side stops and you you allow for the heart to take over. So if we're not motivated by some of our heart, even in, in cold calculation, financial math world, we're going to burn out, right? And that's unfortunately what happens to a lot of people. So Dave Ramsey does a debt snowball effect, which I really like. But first, baby step one, save $1,000 for a starter emergency fund and do that within 30 days. He talks about selling everything, the kitchen sink so much that the kids are next. If you're in a financial hole, right? You've lived your entire life spiraling debt, 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 uh, credit card, credit card, credit card. I'm going to just live my life and uh, thank God it's Friday. Oh crap, it's Monday kind of mentality. This will freak you out, but you'll discover your own power really fast. And also it'll feel good that you can at least look at a thousand. Now, obviously this is not a permanent emergency fund, right? Uh, you need more than this, but we're just getting started because remember for a lot of people, saving is a very difficult thing. I mean, we see the statistics every time most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Most Americans, uh, it says can't cover a $500 emergency that happens. And since I have plenty of people close to my own heart, who can find themselves in this, uh, you'll find that if you can save $1,000 in a way that you've never done before, uh, as long as it's legal and it's moral and your mother still talks to you at the end of the day, then you'll be very surprised with yourself. Next, uh, he talks about his debt snowball. So it's pay off all your debts from smallest to largest. So you line all your debts up and you pay minimum payments on every single one of them, right? And then you attack the smallest one with what he calls gazelle intensity. You attack it with a vengeance until it's gone. Now I had a buddy in college who, who criticized this. He said, well, it makes more sense to do it by interest rate. And yes, again, financially, logically, that is completely correct. So why wouldn't you do it by interest rate necessarily? With Ramsey's approach, he talks about how the fact that he's discovered that finances is such a behavioral thing, right? And that if you don't get a dopamine hit from paying something off, you, you see this mountain and you just start chipping away at the toughest part of the mountain, people burn out way faster. So if you line everything up and you pay off the smallest first, your brain says, oh my gosh, we can do this. And then it becomes a snowball. So if you have a lot of debts and you don't know what the heck to do, maybe you have like three credit cards opened, all right? And you don't know what to do, line all your stuff up, smallest to largest, make sure that you pay minimum balance and you're current on all of them and then attack the smallest one with a vengeance. Um, it'll help. Here we go. Step three, uh, save three to six months of, exp of expenses. Because what have you done? In the, new, in the last two steps, you've become debt-free, right? And so you, you've stayed hungry this entire time because you haven't had a lot of money to your name because you've been attacking. People think you're weird because you have nothing but ramen and mac and cheese at your house. You do something unfortunate like shop at Goodwill. Oh, that we'll talk about later. So now you save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. How much money do you need each month in order to keep the lights on, right? Food, gas, water, uh, you know, electricity, these sorts of basic necessities. What do you need, right? Not to live comfortably, what do you need? But obviously this is going to depend. If you have 
children, this is going to matter, right? If you have more rent, this is going to matter. All these kind of factors. And at this point, you should start budgeting. We'll get into budgeting apps a little bit later that may help you out a little bit more. So this next guy, I'll go through a little bit fast. I mean, he talks about uh, investing. So after you've done your fully funded emergency fund, invest 15% of your household income in retirement, match your company's match. If you work like that, uh, then the Roth IRA. These next steps, I'm going to blaze through a little bit faster because usually the first three are like the, the funnest, if you will. This stuff is like normal middle class stuff. So save for your kid's retirement account. I can't wait for my kids to tell me that they want to go to trade school instead. We'll see. Pay off the home early. Ooh, this is huge. And there's a part in Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaires where it talks about the difference of money paid between a 15-year and a 30-year mortgage, Um, especially now the interest rates are like 6.6%. That would be absolutely awesome if we could do a 15-year. I don't know if it's going to be possible right now in Colorado, but we'll see. And then number seven, right? Build wealth and give. So again, we're not just misers hoarding all of this for ourselves. Why have we been given this opportunity? Why has God allowed us to build some wealth? It's because we can be generous and give. Remember, we're not going to be judged by how much money we had at the end of the day. We're going to be judged on what we did with it. So if you want to be a Pharisee, right, and you put in your money and you say, oh, God, look, I've put in my money. How good am I? Well, look at the widow instead. That's what the story is about, right? She puts in all that she has. It doesn't mean we have to sell the kitchen sink unless God calls us to do so. But at least it means that we need to be generous, right? We need to build wealth and we need to give. And there are plenty of places in the church uh, that could use such money. There are plenty of local churches that could use such money. Um, And so if you watch my video on tithing again, I talk all about that. So good question, right? This sounds all nice. This is your grandpa, grandma's advice, right? They never went into debt. They lived kind of cute out in Des Moines, New Mexico. But can this actually build wealth? So this is an excerpt from Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaires. So this was the largest studies of millionaires, over 10,000 of them. And again, what defines a millionaire? This is someone whose net worth, right, is greater than a million dollars after all of their uh, liabilities have taken account, right? So the assets are greater than the liabilities. Net worth, you guys remember from finance class, net worth equals total assets minus total liabilities. So if I own a $500,000 house and it's all paid off, and then let's say I owe, I don't know, $10,000 on a car. I don't know why you'd have a car payment, but here we are. Then my net worth in that scenario is 490000 right? If you have a million-dollar house, but you still have $500,000 on your mortgage, uh, you have to subtract that liability. We, we understand how this works, right? So a millionaire is not necessarily someone who has a million dollars lying in a bank account. Although, let me tell you, if you're like a salaried Roth IRA kind of person, um, with a company match, it's extremely easy to become a millionaire by the time you're our parents' age. You just casually by just matching your money with your company. It's stupid. Um, so anyway, this is what we discovered, right? Because you hear a lot of things in the culture that says that you can't become a millionaire, right? You cannot become a homeowner. You cannot become a millionaire. Student debt will kill us all, all this sort of stuff, right? 79% of, of everyday millionaires, right? Self-made millionaires um, receive no inheritance, In other words, nobody gave them anything to have them become a millionaire. 16% received more than 100,000. So only 16% received more than 100,000, which still doesn't mean that they just received a million dollars. Only 3% received more than a million dollars. So in other words, for these everyday millionaires, only 3% received enough to put them at millionaire status automatically. And then it said, this is a really, really important one. Most millionaires make it because of their company 401k plan. 
I've been listening to a lot of Caleb Hammer's financial audit videos, um, which are just really, really fun YouTube comment uh, content. I think he's a really cool guy. On one of them, he goes really into depth about what happens if you start your, your 401k at 25 versus 30 versus 35. And we're talking about like the, cause it's compound growth. So essentially if you are just casually making sure that you're at your company match in your, in your job, right. And you can actually set these calculators up. They're very easy to find, right? You can figure out how old you'll be when you'll technically become a millionaire. And then how old you'll be when you can become a multimillionaire. And so by the time you retire, you have a cushy little nest egg and all you did was work at a place. And this follows you around job to job, by the way. This is why one of the most important things for me, even though I was an independent contractor, was getting a more salaried studio position um, because I wanted benefits and also I wanted to have a kind of a 401k plan. In my case, it's a 403b Roth because it's a nonprofit. So this is really good to know also. Eight out of 10 millionaires come from the middle class or below. In other words, this is not an unattainable goal. Money is not evil, right? The love of money is evil, but money itself is just a tool. And most millionaires in the world, the vast majority of millionaires come from our places, right? Middle class and below. Oh, and also the vast majority of them don't receive anything. 79% of them are all self-made. So that's from page 230 of uh, Everyday Millionaires. Highly recommend you pick up the book. All right, let's move on. So what about debt? Ooh, hoo, hoo. the American love affair, right? How many times, I think actually as this video is coming out, Congress is trying to figure out if they're going to raise the debt ceiling again or not. It's absolutely ridiculous, but here we are. Let's, let's turn to the Bible. What does, what does the Bible say about debt? So again, let's visit Proverbs 22, 7 once more. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Slave. The only time it's good to be a slave is when Paul calls himself a slave for Jesus Christ. But what does Christ say to us, right? No longer slaves, I call you friends. So it's not good, not good. Slavery is bad. Wow, who'd have thunk? Thank you, Bible. Oh, Romans 13, 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Review, or revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So pay off your debts, right? You don't have debts, but if you got them, pay them off. We already saw an earlier Bible verse talking about how it's a wicked man who borrows, but he never pays back. Luke 14, 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. The verse goes on later to talk about how if you decide to build a tower without first counting the cost, everyone's essentially going to stand around and look up and laugh at you. Uh, it's kind of, I kind of like it, but yeah, I like this. Which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Strategize again. We're not just throwing caution to the wind, right? The Catholic church does not believe in the prosperity gospel that if I hope, pray, or, or the, um, what's it called? The secret. I think that if I believe enough that it's just going to happen, if I give my church enough, it's just going to happen. Um, God deigns what he deigns. God permits what he permits, but we have to do a lot of the work too. In fact, God gives us the tools, right? The illumination of our souls in order for us to make good and prudent financial decisions. Proverbs 22, 6, uh, 26, sorry. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? How many times, unfortunately, we're in a culture where this is the reg, right? We have a absurd a federally backed student loan program where essentially even bankruptcy will not stop a student loan debt from uh, from continuing. So uh, it's unfortunate, but count your costs, right? 
be prudent. Am I going, if I'm going to go to college, right? This is what happens to a lot of us. The average uh, college student has, I think $40,000 worth of student debt. I used to say 30, it turns out it's higher. Um, when you're 18 years old, I remember I was bombarded with all these credit cards coming in the mail, trying to get me, get me to sign up. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to have you. Well, why are they selling me this thing? We're going to get to that a little bit later. And finally, Ecclesiastes 5.4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow, that you should vow and not pay. We live in a culture today where a lot of people have made vows of payments, right? And they've not paid back. I can't tell you how many conversations in California I had with a bunch of broke in debt college students, right? I, I met a film theorist who went $100,000 in debt at USC for film theory, which if you don't know, essentially is just like a reviewer on YouTube. Um, and they talk about debt forgiveness and these sorts of things. Now, I'm willing to have any sort of conversation, but what's the point of making a vow? What's the point of promising? What's the point of signing a piece of paper if your word doesn't really mean anything? If we do not count the cost to build the tower first, how will we know whether we have enough to complete it? So let's just take a little macro step back. That's that's a that's a oxymoron. Uh, what is debt? Investopedia says this. It's very simple. I know that people are going to roll their eyes, but we, we don't ever think about this. Debt is an amount of money borrowed by one party from another, often making large purchases that they could not afford under normal circumstances. So as a present, there's over $1 trillion in credit card debt. I think it's gone up more. Uh, I keep reading zero hedge on credit card debt, and I'm just like, floored auto debts actually so high right now that delinquencies are rising for for car loans the average student debt is 40k 1.75 trillion owed in student loan debt that it, this is outdated technically it's higher than this now and it turns out that debt forgiveness surprise surprise didn't materialize who'd have thunk so this is really really unfortunate right because a lot of times a guy will a freshman will go into college oftentimes a four-year college not know what they want to do, change a major two to three times, and either they'll get a parent plus loan because they certainly won't pay for it all themselves, and uh, oftentimes mom and dad don't have the money, so it's easier just to pay student loans. I remember that student loans are so common that everyone just assumes you're going to have one, right? Student loans are like are like uh, like like coffee, like everyone just assumes you drink it, um, but it doesn't have to be. What about car payments? This is like the bane of my existence. I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I don't. I don't. I'm not trying to, to talk mess or gossip, but it's always very strange to me when I see students, right? Um, college uh, students, poor, broke college students, and they're driving like 2021 Honda CRVs and stuff. And I'm like, man, dude, that's like a $500 a month car payment, and you're like a theology student. What is that? What is that supposed to say? So again, this is outdated. This is actually up a year ago. This was this was accurate. But let's see the monthly payment average for new cars was $648 for used cars, $503, Whew, $6,000 a year for the pleasure of driving from point A to point B. And for a lot of uh, car loans, you have to also get full insurance. So, oh my good goodness, we are talking like $8,000 for some of you kids. The loan amount for new cars, you can see that 39,540 for used cars, 27,945. Now, this is the thing that kills you, right? It's not enough just to look at lump sums. The thing that none of us ever look at when it comes to debt or when it comes to the opposite, when it comes to compound interest or any sort of thing is interest rates. 4.07% on new cars. And again, this is a year outdated, but at used cars an 8.62%, right? So you're going to take that 
27,945. You're going to times that by its 8.62%. And you'll find out that you're paying a lot more for that uh, just under $30,000 car than you wanted to. Loan term, just shy of 70 months for the new car and a little bit the same, 67.65 months. Uh, that's like six years, people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much depreciation? Cars are one of the greatest depreciating assets. Oh, and I love the credit score here at the bottom. This is lovely. 736 and 669. Now, uh, I don't know if I have a slide on credit scores, but as you can imagine, I'm not I'm not a debtor. Um, I've never owed anybody but my parents <laughs> ever in my lifetime. So um, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of credit scores. Uh, let's ask an honest question. What is a credit score, right? Um, actually, this perfect slide will get into it. Ooh, let's talk about credit cards. Now, I know what you're thinking up to this point. Okay, Jordan, I get it. The student loan debt, debt's bad, right? I, I can complete on board. The Bible talks about debt being bad. Uh, for the longest amount of time of church history, Christians could not charge other Christians interest because that was bad, which is why we gave in, in Christendom, we gave the Jews the power to be the bankers for the Muslim world. Fun fact, it was the Armenians. And um, so, okay, I get that. I can be frugal. I can be responsible. But let's be honest here. I'm getting my airline miles, my capital one points. What do you have to say about credit cards? So funny story, typing in average cash back on credit card, because I was genuinely interested. Uh, plot twist, I don't have a credit card and I don't have any interest in getting one. I will talk about some cheat code stuffs later, but generally speaking, I don't, I don't think this has done a lot of Americans a lot of good. So as I typed in average cash back on credit card, what I got instead was just this bombardment of everything you can imagine credit card. So I call them financial cigarettes. If you see this video, if you click it, it actually links to a, um, I think it's a cap, it's, it's, it's a chase commercial, right? Because how fun and wonderful. And I remember seeing all these credit card commercials growing up and there are some are very fond of like the, the black and white ones with the, the Chase Sapphire. And it's the only thing that's like this poppy blue saturation and frame. It's, it's a really well done commercial back when I was growing up. Um, financial cigarettes, right? This is interesting. Credit cards are the most marketed thing in all of history. Let me tell you how I can prove it. I can prove it without giving you a shred of statistics. Let me show you how, okay? Go to a group of friends, right? Hang out with a group of friends, your boys. And I want you to sit there and I want you to say something, especially if it's true. I want you to say, you know, I don't have a credit card and I just don't see what the big deal is. Everyone will look at you like you shot the Pope. This is the most marketed thing in all of history. It's so marketed. It's so assumed that you need a credit card to survive that people who don't exactly have the, the headspace knowledge, right? People who don't necessarily, who, who may be, be struggling with credit card debt will defend to the death the fact that they need that credit card to survive. I'm so serious about this. Credit cards are financial cigarettes. Smoking sometimes doesn't kill you. Some people are able to live 100, year, 100 years old and pay off all their loans, right? And they get their points or all their debts, I'm sorry, and they get their points and their cash back and blah, 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 blah. And that's good. But here's something really interesting to think about. Seven out of 10 people do not pay off their credit card debt monthly. And the APR, right, for a credit card percentage-wise is 15 to 20%. Now, I want you to go outside on your street, and I want you to look left and look right. If you live in an apartment complex like we do, it's a little more tricky. But if you go out on the street, seven out of 10 of those houses do not pay off their credit card debt every single month. But if you've had the conversation a step before, talking about how you don't see the big deal of credit cards, you would think that everybody pays off their credit cards. My mom and I have gotten into some really fun discussions because my mom has a Southwest card, and she's very adamant that we do a lot of flying. Why don't I just get a Southwest card? 
I try to explain very politely that Expedia exists and that actually we're 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 spending considerably less just flying a couple different sorts of airlines whenever they have tickets up on Expedia. But it's like it's like talking to a wall sometimes. It's like how could you not have a card? Now, and I tell you this, the kind of lifestyle that Jen and I run, we could have a credit card and we could pay it off every month. I reckon we'd be that three tens. But here's the thing about debt. Okay. If debt is bad, if debt is bad, why flirt with it? If I have the, if I have the money to pay for something, why would I buy it now and pay it off later? I was remembering telling a guy, um, Northwestern mutual guy trying to get me uh, an account. Right. And I know that I know that I'm sure there's a lot of nice people that work at Northwestern Mutual. I've always found that people, if you leave a financial uh, advisor thing, feeling like you're being sold a used car, probably not not a good thing. But he was telling me about good debt, right? Do you have any good debt? Like, what if you have a car payment and he, you know, all the logical blah 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 blah. I hear you like Dave Ramsey, but consider this. And I said, listen, here's the difference: um, the economy is not doing so hot right now. My cars might not be very flashy, but I own them. No man can take them from me. If I stop paying my insurance tomorrow on my car, the insurance company doesn't take my car away. The dealership doesn't take my car away. No man owes my car, owns my car but me. I've always said this, especially when I was starving in Los Angeles. I may not have much, but what I have is mine. And that is my entire boiled down approach to money, by the way. I may not have much. It's okay not to have much. But everything I have, everything the light touches is mine. And that right there is why I don't flirt with debt because no man can lay claim to anything in this house right now. All right, let's have some fun. So the next thing you might hear, so you've heard the whole airline miles thing, and this is ridiculous because if you actually look into the the getting in of airline miles, Southwest customers, you all know this very recently. It's a freaking nightmare sometime to get your, your points. And it's not worth it in a lot of cases. And the vast majority, the vast majority of airline miles are not actually redeemed. I'm talking millions and millions and millions of miles every year, just not redeemed, whatever, who cares? So what about your card? So the average, it took me a while to find the average cash back. And usually it settles about 1.5%, 1, 1.5, maybe you have a card that gets 2%. I know there's some people in the comments who are like, haha, look at me and my 5%, you liar. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so it's like, okay, 1.5% cashback. See Jordan on every single purchase, I get 1.5%. And if you watch that um, Taylor Swift commercial up there, you can even get 5% back at restaurants and bars. Great. So that's going to encourage you to spend more money you don't have. But here's the funny thing. If you spent $100,000, you'd only get 1500 back. That's what 1.5% back is. If you only spend $100, right? Congratulations, genius. You got a dollar and uh, and 50 cents back. What are you going to buy? So what I discovered is I had a Costco membership and I had the executive because they really, really, really try to push that executive black card membership, like really. And um, it was it was before our wedding. And usually I don't really do those pitches, but I was kind of in a hurry. And I was like, you know what? She said something interesting. She said, if you don't make your your money back on it, they'll send you a check for like the difference, right? So it's like the $60 for the basic and then 120 it was for like the executive. And it would get like, you can get cash back on gas purchases and on purchases in the store. And it's only Jen and I. And so after a year of this bugger, it turns out that we only like made, I don't know, like $20 back. So like we got like a, a check for 40 essentially. And I was like, yeah, this wasn't worth it. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Uh, I have it down here. Click on the link for credit card APR. This is just fun. But a lot of times, if you have a credit card, just look at your own kind of APR rates, all that kind of jazz. Listen, 
I will admit, I don't, I'm with Dave Ramsey when it comes to credit cards. I don't think that you're the worst person in the world if you have a credit card. If you're one of those people, if you're one of the three tenths of people who pay off their credit card and have just even a little extra, like I, I understand that a dollar fifty on a hundred might be a good little sweet treat for some of you people. Okay. And I know that you get to talk about your credit scores and all this other kind of crap. Okay, that that's fine, right? I'm not I'm not gonna beat you over the head with it. I personally would not recommend getting a credit card because A, you don't need it, and B, why would you flirt with the debt? Also, it seems that at least according to everybody and their sister out there, the majority of people are not credit card people. The majority of people are slaves to their banks. Why do you think banks, why do you think institutions are so heavy about pushing credit cards, right? Oh, they just love the little guy. See, my bank just wants to help me out. No, genius, because they make money off of people's debt. Because banks are in the business of debt. And so if they can get you enslaved into debt, chasing after your almighty credit score, all this other kind of stuff, they're going to do it. And for those people who think, okay, well, listen, Jordan, I have a credit card because of my credit score. Hang on, hang on. There it is. I have a credit card because of my credit score. (laughs) Let me tell you something. What is a credit score? What is a credit score? What if I told you that a credit score was simply the measure of how good of a debtor you are? The credit score is an assessment. A a lender goes, this guy takes on debt and does he pay that debt back in a timely or untimely manner? Does he take on a lot of debt and then pay it off in large sums or small sums? That's what a credit score tells you. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. I've never owed any man anything. My credit score is in the good range just by the virtue of me breathing and paying off my utilities. I've yet to have any issues renting an apartment, getting a car. When it comes time for us to get a house, I don't think that just those whole swabs of middle-class people with down payments out there going, well, it looks like I would have gotten the house, but I just should have gotten that chase card when I had the chance. That that's, that doesn't exist. Seven out of 10 of you people don't even pay off your credit card. So what are you going to run at me about credit card debt? But on the subject of the credit score, if you just won't shut the heck up about it. <laughs> I love how this being Catholic financials and then it kind of like moved down to nothing, right? But trust me, this is obviously a good reason why. Um, if you just have to have a good credit score, let me tell you a cheat code. When I was a young man, I was 18 years old, instead of getting me a credit card, my dad said to me, hey, I got a great idea, kiddo. Why don't you take a credit builder loan out? And I said, well, that sounds kind of sketch. What is that? A credit builder loan, which you can usually get at like your local credit union and probably your bank, actually. My, my bank now actually offers them. Um, all it is, is this. It takes X amount of money from your savings and it puts it in, in a credit builder loan thing. So you essentially have borrowed $500. In my case, it was $500 from myself. And then every single month I pay myself back that, right? So it's not me like swiping cards at different places. It's literally my money was already sitting in savings, not doing much. And now I'm actually just borrowing it against myself. I'm essentially gaming the system to say that I have good credit. Now, I haven't done this in years and my credit's still good. So what does that tell you, right? There's absolutely, if you were to look at my credit score and I looked at it recently, I have two closed accounts. One for my, my um, when Jen and I got married, I closed my old bank account. So we opened a joint one, right? And then uh, for my credit builder loan, for my community credit union, I just said, eh, I don't really need it anymore. That's the only thing I have. And it's no, there's no impact for it, right? So my credit score is like, hey, you're doing great, fella, but there's no history. So remember, there's a difference between bad credit, which means you're a bad debtor, which means you love debt and you also don't like to pay off your debt and you're not good about paying it, and no credit. So if you're worried about a house or whatever, consider underwriting. There are plenty of other ways to get a house or to get a car or whatever, but I'm telling you right now, it's not as big of a deal as all these yahoos and jabronis 
make it out to be. So um, cash, debit card, credit card, phone pay interceptors. This is a really, really fun game. And actually, if any of your friends give you any grief about not having a credit card or paying it off at the end of every month, because sometimes you'll hear jabronis say that actually you shouldn't pay off your debt at the end of every month. It's very bad. It somehow dings your credit score. Do this. Have an entire month. Challenge them. Say, listen, I challenge you for an entire month just to use cash and just see what that does to your habits of spending. I don't know what it will do. Just do it. There are pain receptors in the brain activated on the different tiers of how we utilize money, right? So cash activates most pain receptors because with cash, your, your brain is saying, I put the $20 bill down and it's not coming back. Maybe it comes back as two Abraham Lincolns, but it's not coming back. And we go, ouch, I just spent money, right? The debit card is a step above that. It actually really diminishes those pain receptors because with the debit card, you just swipe a card, you know, you put the plastic down, the plastic comes back. But the difference is that if you don't got money in the account, you can't afford whatever you put down, right? It's a direct connection to how much money that you have. So that's why with the debit card, you go, ah, that kind of hurt, but not nearly as bad as cash. Cash, I'll tell you what, you'll remember every single time you pay for gas, how much exactly down to the cent you paid for it. Uh, never can with the debit card. Credit card's a step removed from that because it's buy now, pay later. You get this nice little statement at the end of every month. And then now they've actually done stuff with the phone, right? So you can have your Apple Pay or your Google Wallet or your Samsung Pay, uh, and you, you put your phone down and you scan it and your phone's like a huge dopamine center of your life. And so the pain receptors are released. There are people who, there are, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, people. There are people who market our spending habits and how we spend so well. This is why they are pushing, this is part of the reason why a cashless society is very, very happy for these people. Because in cashless societies, people spend more. And if you don't believe me, go even just a week spending nothing but cash. I guarantee you, you will turn into the most frugal war hawk ever. Because you'll be like, no, I know that I have $3.72 in my pocket. I kind of getting to the end. <laughs> so budgeting apps, um, some recommendations. Uh, I used every dollar for the longest amount of time. I'm actually fond of every dollar. The only thing about every dollar, which is dumb, is that you have to pay for it. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Jordan, they're a business. They have to make money. That's right. It's kind of pricey. I think, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's kind of pricey. You can do a trial run. And I highly recommend that you do because every dollar is a very easy to use functional thing. And also what they try to do, is they try to bundle every dollar into the whole Ramsey baby steps ecosystem, which is why I think it's a little pricey. So I think it's a little overrated in that regard, not the app itself. The app is excellent. Um, but why would you pay for something you can get for free? Right? So here's the thing. So check out every dollar. Um, mint mint is like the best free budgeting app. I could recommend we use, we've been using mint lately. Um, I kind of miss every dollar. The thing about mint is just be careful because mint, uh, which is owned by TurboTax now, I think, um, they really like pushing credit and credit cards and credit scores and all that kind of stuff too. So, but it's pretty easy to ignore that. Mint's pretty nice. Um, there are a lot of banking apps just locally now have budgeting apps built into the banking thing, which I'm very huge fans of. Ours is a little rudimentary at our bank. So I hope it comes along a little bit more. It's just hard to kind of mark each transaction. It doesn't do nearly as good of a job as Mint or as every dollar, but I would highly recommend those two things. Okay, ooh, let's talk about this, especially in the age of inflation. Uh, eggs today were eight sixty nine at King Supers. I walked. So let me tell you my biggest regret in my life, besides not meeting Genevieve sooner. I um I probably left hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars behind at Burbank's Ralph's because I was one of those dummies who didn't want to put a an app, a coupon app, on his phone. I had my I already signed up with my phone number. What more do I need? 
people, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you realize that we are just pouring money away for no reason. Um, I want to show you guys this because this is from today. Uh, we just had a King Supers run and I saved, I think it's 33%. Yeah, 33% off my order, right? So I saved a total of $36.27. Uh, and this is this is coupons both we get in the mail and on the app. So listen, get the King Supers and the Safeway apps. If you have a, a Kroger, right? It'd be Kroger or Vons or whatever is near your area. That's what those are. Um, they're free. I can't tell you enough, they're free. Guys, we are just pouring money away for the dumbest reasons. They're like weekly deals. We just got cheese, like two blocks of like cheese for like a dollar essentially after we couponed it. What are we doing with our lives? Nobody taught me these things growing up, even though I, I would say I grew up from a pretty frugal household, right? And like out in the country. So my older sister is like the queen of couponing. And let me tell you something funny. I've recently gotten a new app on my phone called Ibotta. This is like a cash back app, no strings attached. I got paid the other week to eat wheat thins. I kid you not. Wheat thins were marked down to, I think, a, um, what were they? They were like $1.50 um, at Safeway. And then I had another coupon that said you get a dollar off that if you, um, you get a dollar off that if you buy two of them. All right. So there you go. 50 cents. Let's say, and this is hypothetical. It really was lovely. And then the Ibotta app said that you get 75 cents cash back on wheat thins. So yo, tell me why I made a dollar 25 eating two boxes of wheat thins. God bless America. What a great world we live in. So, so listen, I can't stress this enough. This will save a lot of money, especially in the age of inflation, eggs, all that kind of stuff. There are coupons on the apps. It's amazing. I don't know why we didn't do this sooner. So coupon in your free time. The only downside of couponing is it's laborious, right? It takes a while just to kind of scroll through the app and click on the items you want. You can even build your list and stuff. It's not difficult, but it can just take some time. Honestly, uh, how I don't want to. I don't want to be crude, but use your bathroom time for couponing, right? If you're just sitting in an elevator, right? You know, just don't drive and coupon, right? But honestly, there's just so many places. It's so easy to do. Talking to your bros and just couponing. I've turned some of my good friends on to coupons because we just never were taught this kind of stuff. And it's not like, oh, little grandma pulling up to the store. Like we're talking about a lot of money here if you have family and if you're just trying to survive inflation like we all are. Um, oh, man, a Costco or Sam's Club membership. And if you want a Sam's Club membership, fun fact, I discovered some of them on Groupon, Groupon of all places. So so there's that. We don't have a Sam's Club. We have a Costco membership. Yeah, that has been awesome. So our Costco membership, I think it's going up now. When we got it, it was $60 for a year, just like the basic. You don't need the executive. They're going to push it so hard to say, no, I watch Glad Trap podcast financial video uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Thank you kindly, right? <laughs> so the thing about it is that um, there are so many like bulk items that you can just buy for cheaper at the end of the day at Costco. We don't use it like on the reg for groceries because it's only Jen and I, but laundry detergent, water bottles, uh, milk's cheap. Eggs were really cheap there before, you know, you couldn't buy eggs anymore. Um, all those like bulk paper towels, toilet paper, all those huge bulk items, and not to mention your access to Costco gas. I mean, that's like worth its weight in gold. So if you don't already consider Costco or a Sam's Club membership for that kind of stuff, this is a really good one. Um, befriend your grocer or your butcher to find out manager specials. So there's a discount fish and discount meat section in the store we go to, but I talk to the butchers all the time and I just ask them like, Hey, what do you guys got today? Like, I know that usually they put out stuff when I'm getting off work, thank God. So around like 536 and 
I just go over there and like, I can pick out a lot of discount meats. We've gone a lot. We've ate really well. We found discount crab legs one night, two nights, actually. Oh my gosh. They were amazing. God be praised. So yeah, just talk to them. Hey, what's the specials going on? What are this happening? Like, do you have any discount whatevers? And they'll tell you, right. They can be really friendly people, especially if you're in kind of a local store in a local community, uh, just really awesome things to do. And then my final pieces of advice, St. Padre Pio tells us to pray, hope, and don't worry. Part of the reclamation of Catholic culture is going to come from, from the sort of groundwork which we lay in this generation and in this time that we occupy in history. But at the end of the day, we should do all these things in service and love of Christ, right? If God is calling us to donate more into our churches, right? If he's calling us to build a beautiful space, if he's calling us to send our children to Catholic school, if he's calling us just not to worry about finances in our life, right? If he's calling us to farm life, whatever it is, um, all of these things are important. They're beautiful, but we shouldn't stress over them. Like that's, I'm one of those people who like my finances on autopilot, right? I don't, I don't want to think about my money every single day at the end of every month. I know that I, I put my card down. I know there's money on that. I know that I put some cash down. It's, it's no problem. I know that an emergency comes up and believe me, uh, we've been married only two years. Emergencies do come up that we're covered. So this is really important. But again, at the end of the day, we pray, we hope, and we don't worry. Living, living Padre Pio's charism. How beautiful. This is an important one. Learn to sacrifice, to appreciate rarity, and to live without. Sometimes there's no ways, ifs, ands, or buts around it. You just have to learn how to sacrifice, right? It's like asking, how do I lose weight without going to the gym? It's like, yeah, listen, you eat better because abs are made in the kitchen first. But yeah, you're just gonna have to go to the gym. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm sorry. But you will learn to appreciate rarity more. When you do have a nice treat or a nice dinner out, you'll learn to be more appreciative. If you learn to save so that you can go on vacation properly, you'll be more appreciative of that. You'll be grateful. And your children will also see that. And finally, just learn to live without. We don't drive very fancy cars. We drive an 07 Outlander and an 06 Honda Civic. And I work on them both, right? And we've saved thousands of dollars in mechanical repairs because I've learned a lot. But they're not, they're not very pretty cars. They're a little dinged up every once in a while. But we know, okay, you know, it's better than us taking $20,000 and buying a used car or, you know, financing a used car or something like that. We just have to learn to live without. As, as Dave Ramsey talks about a lot, if you learn to live like no one else, then one day you can live like no one else. And that's, I think that is deeply in the Catholic charism. It is delaying our pleasures now for the sake of, of the great joys that we may have in the future. This is one that was huge for me, Right liberality with your spouse and with the poor. I have a book. Um, it's, it's Father Leo Kinsella's The Man for Her, right? Uh, it's, it's out of those two marital books. The one for women uh, that they read is called The Wife Desired. It's a great book on marriage, great book on marriage. But one of the chapters that really struck me was liberality with my spouse. Um, it's very, very easy, especially as men, to want to have a very regimented way of doing finances. It's very easy for men to live like they did back when they were bachelors. Which is why the bat part of the bachelor ethos, right? The Henry Higgins of the world are, are very rich men, right? They're very rich men because they never had to pay a wife tax. But that's not what God wants us to do, right? Christ says, or God says, well, who is Christ? Uh, says it's not good for a man to be alone. And that's why Adam had Eve created. And so you have to also realize that sometimes a wife tax demands something that you didn't expect before. And maybe it's not in your budget. If it's in your parameters, awesome though. There are plenty of things that are, but maybe you just didn't understand it. One of the, one of the weirdest conversations when Jen and I first got married is, I, is we were talking about hair. So one of the things that's very important for my wife every single month 
is that she gets her hair done. Uh, marry a black woman and this is what happens. <laughs> and so I remember when sitting down and I said, listen, I don't know how much it costs to do hair. What do you think? And Jen started doing, oh, well, it depends, right? Depends on this and this. And I was like, listen, guy here, I don't hear like the, it depends. I just want to know what the range is. And she finally told me the range. And I said, oh, well, why do we spend all this time when I thought it was a very reasonable sort of request? But you're just going to have to accept it, right? Like if you like the way your spouse looks, you may have to pay for the upkeep of that, right? So when your wife comes to you and says, listen, I get this foundation from Zephora, you can't chime in and go, well, maybe you should just consider getting it from the Dollar Tree instead, which is not something that I've done. So that's what I'm trying to say, liberality with your spouse. There are times where you guys might be grinding out a lot of debt, right? Jen and I are very fortunate because we've never had debt, right? So we start off our life with a huge cloud that's just an albatross that's not around our neck. But I know that for a lot of you, that's not the case when you're getting married, right? And you're coming out of college with the student loans and maybe your wife, uh, she's, she's gone to school for something and now she wants to be a stay-at-home mom, right? And, she, and you have kids or whatever it is. I, I, get, I get those frustrations. Even if I might have not suffered through them individually myself, I understand them, right? But you know, if you grind like monkeys and you don't just have a date night, and it doesn't mean you have to spend a lot of money, right? But just something that's just emphasizes liberality with your spouse, uh, you'll you'll be killing yourself because at the end of the day, it's subservient to our vocation. Our making of money, our keeping of money should be subservient to our vocations, which is to Christ and to our families. And finally, with the poor. Now, this doesn't have to necessarily manifest. If you're one of those people who don't like just like giving out money to homeless and seeing what happens, that's okay. There are plenty of programs. There are plenty of charities. Even just the virtue of buying food and keep and watering, just keeping it underneath uh, the, 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 the seats of the car, right, to give to the homeless or whatever. That's liberality right there, right? That's generosity. That's charity. That's caritatis. That's love of your neighbor and love of God. And that's something that we need to do a better job of Catholics. We need to do a better job of liberality in our own families, and with those whom God has entrusted to us. Oh, this is so fun. We just got back from a Goodwill date. But man, saving can be fun. I love our Goodwill dates. Uh, we we do these little wardrobe revamps, little slow things. But Goodwill is so inexpensive, especially when it's a, when it's a, a tag day. But yeah, saving can be fun. Goodwill dates, um, you know, couponing. Like Jen and I just got into the store and like I gave her each of the physical coupons that we had after we were done with them. And it was just kind of nice to spend time with my wife. Just inexpensive time together. When's the last time you just walked to the park or walked to the lake or just gotten some ice cream from a cold stone because you had a gift card that you discovered in your safety deposit box up on the shelf? So it, it doesn't have to be dregs, right? We talk about this, especially as traditional Catholics. Just because we're traditionalists doesn't mean that we have to look like frums and we have to look sad and angry all the time. There should be a great joy and the enlightenment of the gospel that lives through us. And this is also the same with our financial lives. We don't have to go through life thinking that it's horrible. You know, the thing about it is that there are some very beautiful things you can do that don't cost any money. And if we think that the only time to have a good time is with money, then we're doing ourselves a great disservice. And the last thing is I've kind of tied this all up. All things are to be done with the love of Christ and with charity. You do that, then you're already fine. That's the encapsulation of what our entire financial life should look like. Thank you, everybody, uh, for listening along. If you had something that you want to comment on or something to share, maybe there's a resource or somebody that you like listening to when it comes to finances, uh, please feel free. I love it when you guys talk to me and, and chirp and, and Rudy loves it too, I know. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that this has been very helpful in your own life, especially if you're preparing for marriage. Maybe you're already married and you're just trying to get on the same page. Maybe you're trying to get your own ducks in a row. I hope that there are some things in here that can help you out on your own financial journeys and your own financial successes. 
And I look forward when we all have to build a little Catholic Benedict option compound together to be talking about how this video inspired you to get out of debt and all that jazz. Um, so if you like this video, please comment, subscribe, share this video far and wide, uh, both if you're on YouTube and our podcasting platforms. Thank you guys so much. Please consider helping us with more and more videos by becoming a patron or now eligible becoming a, a channel member. Uh, you'll get access to earlier episodes like some of our patrons did for this video, as well as an ability to suggest episode titles, maybe even come on the show and share your own stories of coming to tradition or some part of the faith which was that you overcame anything. We just love your stories so much. And uh, we are grateful for each and every single one of you. And please continue to pray for us as we pray for you. So until next time, God bless you and may I keep you. Adios.